Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. I love Christmas. I love everything about this season and what it means. I know we got a lot of Christmas fanatics. You know, I know it's Christmas too because I look around and there's a lot of new clothes. Anybody get a new wardrobe for Christmas? That's like your thing. Every year I get clothes at Christmas, I will wear them from January 1 to December 25th. And then that's my wardrobe for the year, right? So you know, if I don't get clothes at Christmas, I got two years to go before I get a new wardrobe. I love Christmas season. Let me tell you what else I love about it. I love the waiting that comes with Christmas. I used to do this when I was a little boy. I would wake up every single Christmas Eve. Maybe your children are like this, or maybe you were like this. I would wake up every single Christmas Eve at three o'clock in the morning. I'd walk up to my mother and father's bed. I'd begin whispering in their ear until I woke them up. I'd force my whole family to wake up just so we could open gifts. I don't allow my child to do that, but my mom allowed me to do that, right? I love the waiting part of Christmas. I love watching my children's faces light up as they begin to open gifts and the joy and the excitement that that brings and comes about from that. I love that part of the Christmas season. You know what else I love about it? I love this. I love that this season also stands for a time of new opportunities. You ever thought about that? Christmas is here. We get through Christmas. We begin to head right into New Year's. And I love the fact that right around this very same time where all this joy and excitement and this season reminds us of everything that life is about, Jesus and his life and what he gave on our behalf and family and those we love and everything that it means for us as believers. I love that right at the end of that season, we have the next season within a week that is a time of new opportunity for us a time for us to evaluate our life, a time for us to plan for the next season, a time for us to let go of past failures, and I love that. I love it. I love the idea that I get to go into a new year, look at the past, and look at the past year and go, man, that was great, this was good, and this was awful, and this was hard, and I could start new. I can start fresh. This time of year is sort of all about that, isn't it? But here's the big problem. Here's the, the, the dilemma that we run into. How can we prepare for a new season when God hasn't shown up yet? Isn't that true? You know what's hard about this time of year? This time of year can also be a reminder of great loss in our life, can't it? It can be a reminder of us, to us, of those who have gone before us. It can be a reminder to us that this year didn't go to plan or the past few years hasn't go to plan. It can be a constant reminder to us that when we look at Instagram or social media or the world in general, that we see everybody's life looks like it's moving in the right direction. But when we look at our life and our desires and our hopes and our dreams and our wants, it's like we're always waiting on God. How can you prepare for a new season when God hasn't shown up yet? You know, the fact is sometimes our lives are defined by having to live in the pain of the past. Sometimes our lives are defined by that. Like I mentioned, a person who was lost, the pain of a sin that we committed, a, a problem with our spouse, a desire that we have, a hope that has gone unfulfilled. How can we go forward if we're stuck in our past? Can I tell you why I wanted to preach on this this morning? Because I have a belief that we can show you in the word of God that's revolutionary and life-changing for me 
and that I believe will be for you too. Because it's very difficult to move forward when stuck in the past, but here's the truth. God is working even while we are waiting, and there is absolutely no need to doubt God. He will show up. God is working even when we are waiting, and there is no need to doubt God. He will show up. You know, I know of no greater waiting period than the three days after the resurrection. You ever thought about that? If you're stuck in a waiting season, one of the greatest places you can find some place to go in the word of God and relate your life to is the very moments, the days, the 72 hours that happen after Jesus died on a cross. Their understanding was limited. Their hopes were all placed in him. They had no knowledge of what was getting ready to take place, and they were completely afraid or fearful or grieving or mourning. They were filled with these emotions that we deal with and we struggle in life with. You know, throughout Scripture, there's multiple places in the gospel where we can see what happened in those three days. One of my favorites in Luke chapter 24. And if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24 real quick. So some good news for you. I'm not going to read like all 50 verses there in the chapter. It could be a little much. But here's what I am going to do. I'm going to walk you through what happened. Jesus has been killed on a cross. He's been put into a borrowed tomb. He's laying there. And the very first thing we see in Luke 24 is that Mary and another group of women are heading to the tomb. Luke would say with spices. Other places in the word of God would give an indication that they were going there. Basically, the way I think about it is to do a devotion. Can you imagine being them? By the way, when I say them, it was them who never abandoned Jesus while he was on the cross. That's who them are. You see, what you'll find in this chapter and other places in the word of God is that the men, the disciples, most of them fled, locked themselves behind closed doors, fearful what was coming next in their life, but the ladies never left Jesus. They were there. And they found themselves faithfully returning to the tomb to visit. Mary would approach the tomb, except this morning she would see something completely different. Normally she would see guards and a stone that was rolled over with no way to enter. But this morning, her and her group of ladies and their friends would walk up to the tomb, and the stone that was there was now rolled away. A few things about this. I've never dug up a grave. Don't want to. You know what I mean? I can't imagine the emotion going across her mind. It doesn't say it in Luke 24, but it, but it says that other places in the Word of God dealing with this same story, Mary would approach that tomb and, and, and basically look in. She would peek around. She would step one foot into. And here's what's crazy about that. When she did it, she did it boldly, not fearfully. Other people were scared. She wasn't. Here's what scripture said she would find. She would find two angels, one sitting at the head of where Jesus was laying and one sitting at the feet of where Jesus was supposed to be laying. And she would look in there and see and she would basically begin to ask them, where is he? Where have you put him? Where have you put my God? Where is my Jesus? By the way, you ever gotten in between a mama and her child? This isn't mama. This isn't that Mary, by the way. But have you ever had that? You know, you ever in between maybe a mama and her child or a, 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 a woman and her husband? You ever found yourself, and you know what that's like? It's like being between a bear, a mama bear, and a cub. 
You know what I mean? If you're hiking in the Smoky Mountains, that's about the last place you want to find yourself. And that's exactly the emotion that this Mary would approach the tomb with. Wherever you put them. I don't know who you are. I don't know why you're sitting there. I'm going to give you three seconds. You tell me where Jesus is, or I'm coming in and kicking some tail. I'm going to find out where he took his body. They would look at Mary, and they would say these words. Why do you look for the living among the dead? At that very moment, she would hear something behind her, turn around, and Jesus himself would be standing there in flesh. Taken back, amazed, overcome with emotion of what she had seen and experienced, they would worship. They would run and begin to tell people. What I love about Luke chapter 24 is it even talks about Peter. This is one of the things found here that isn't found in the other places. Peter, the one who was aggressive, the one who was the defender of Jesus, right? That aggressive Peter would hear about this tomb being empty. In Luke 24, it says he would run to the tomb to see for himself. And what he would see was the cloth, the clothes of Jesus laying there where they should be. But no Jesus. And he began to wonder where he was at. It sort of takes a break in this part, and it begins to talk about two men heading on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus himself would walk up to these men, and they would not know that it was Jesus. And they were discussing amongst themselves what had taken place, not the resurrection of Christ, but the death of Christ. You could imagine what we would be talking about, the things we might say or discuss. The brutal destruction of that man. Jesus would walk beside them and they would turn to Jesus and they would simply say, have you not heard? Are you living under a rock? How is it that you don't know what everyone else knows about? Have you not heard what happened in Jerusalem? Jesus would chastise them. He would correct them. And say, what do you mean have I not heard? Have you not understood that the prophecy had to be fulfilled? These things had to take place? Did you not know that? Scripture would say he, he would open up their minds, bring them understanding, teach them incredible things. I love the last part of the passages that talk about the road to Emmaus because it says their hearts were set ablaze within them when Jesus left. And immediately skips to this other scene where the disciples find themselves locked behind closed door, fearful for their own life, watching their Savior just die, and all of a sudden, Jesus would appear. They would turn around and believe they saw a ghost. Jesus would hold out his hands and point to his ankles, would, would give direction to his side and say, I'm no ghost, I'm him. Do you not recognize who I am and who's standing before you? Do you not get what's going on in this moment? I am him. You have been waiting on me, and here I am. Amazing. The rest of this chapter would give little in Luke 24 about what would happen over the next, the next part. But here's what you need to know. Jesus would be on the earth for 40 days. At the end of Luke 24, you can see where he would ascend to be with the Father, and he would tell his disciples, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. Wait here for him to come, but when he comes, be ready. Be ready. 
I love Luke 24 because I know of no greater place in the Word of God that shows us the effect of having to wait on God. Guys, there's three things I want to share with you all today that God does when we're waiting to kick off a new season in our life. There's three things that he does when that takes place. Number one, I'll show you this in scripture as we go back to Luke 24. Number one, God shows up. Look towards verse 40. I'm going to start verse 38. This is when Jesus appeared to his disciples after the road to Emmaus, after the ladies found the tomb empty. Then it says this in verse 38. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies. As you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. You know what God does when it's time to stop waiting and move, he shows up. God shows up. The second thing God does, he not only shows up, God sends out. Look at verse 47 in Luke chapter 24, just right down from where we are reading. It says these words. It says, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent, and you are my witnesses of these things. Not only does God show up, God sends out, but catch this, not only does God send out you, he sends out you as a messenger, God sends out with a message. Every time God shows up, God sends out with a message, and his message was very clear. This gospel is for everyone who would repent. You can have your sins forgiven if you would repent. In fact, it says it this way, that this truth would be preached to all nations, starting in Jerusalem. You know what's amazing about that thought? We're going to talk some more today about prophecies here in just a minute. But this is one that's unfulfilled, isn't it? Today, while we're sitting in our sanctuary, here's some, some numbers that might blow your mind like they do mine. 40% of our world today doesn't have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Catch that. 40%. While we worship freely, 3 billion people don't have access to the word of God like we have it. 3 billion people. The command of God to us, his messengers, with his message is very simple. To discriminate against no one, to offer to anyone who would believe the same repentance given to you, the same grace extended to me, to anyone who would receive it. And thousands of years later, we live in a world where 40% of the people who exist in our world today don't even have access to this truth. Three billion of them. In our county alone, while we sit in here and worship, there's 90,000 people that are estimated not to be in a church home in Sevier County. 90,000 people who need the message of hope and forgiveness and grace that's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, you don't have to go to the 3 billion. You can start right here at home as we work our way there. 
And as we work our way there, either God will bring them to us or he'll bring us to them. One way or another, his gospel is going to be fulfilled. It's one of my favorite things about all of the word of God because I want to be part of this. I want to be part of that. Don't you? If you've seen the empty tomb, if you were one of those who, who walked with Jesus and said your heart set ablaze, if you lived in fear only to be met by Jesus, wouldn't you want to be part of that? And I want to be part of that. You know what you find in Revelation? It's one of my favorite things in the Word of God. And when John sees heaven, you know what he sees? surrounded around the throne of God, singing praises to him, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Hear me. It's not just that his gospel will be preached to every nation and tribe and tongue. It will be preached and someone from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue will be saved. They will be represented in heaven. It is going to happen. I want to be part of that. That's the truth of the word of God. What an amazing vision to think, hey, even in our waiting, we can know that. That God has a message given to us that when he shows up in our life that we get to take to anyone who believes, knowing that someone will respond. Not only does God show up in verse 40, not only does he send out in verse 47, but he sends you what you need. Verse 49, at the very end of this, it says this, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. When God shows up, he sends out. When God sends out, he sends to you everything you need to do what he tells you to do. Jesus said, when I go, I'm gonna send to you everything you need. But here's the fact. That's all good, right? You can write that down in your Bible. You can look back at that. You can study that. You can determine if what I told you is true and if it means anything for your life. But if you're here today and you're waiting and your whole life is defined by the fact that God doesn't seem like he wants to answer the biggest problems and question going on in your life, then what good is that for you? What good is that? Of course God shows up. I believe God sends out. I believe God gives me what I need. But if that's true, Justin, why am I spending such a long time waiting on God? Listen, these three things are not just for the believer who has everything going right in their life. They're for you and for me in our seasons of waiting. These things 100% apply to your life, and here's how. While waiting for God to show up, remember this. Remember that he already has. While waiting for God to show up, remember that he already has. I love that few paragraphs in Luke 24 in the road to Emmaus. Because here are these men discussing the death of Jesus. And here he appears to them. And when they look at Jesus to challenge him, basically to say, are you living under a rock? How do you not know about this? Can I ask you a question? Wouldn't that be the perfect moment? Wouldn't it be the perfect moment for Jesus to do a miracle? 
Wouldn't it be like such a grand entrance? Can you imagine walking on the road, discussing the saying as if you know everything there is about life, not realizing that Jesus is beside you, and the very moment you challenge him, the very moment you petition him, he stops where he is and starts to do something to blow your mind, some miracle, some sign, some wonder, waiting on God, and yet he shows up. Wouldn't it be the perfect time for God to do that? Can you imagine the response of the men? Wouldn't it bring about faith in their life? Wouldn't it bring about joy for them? Wouldn't it bring about just this this wonder in them? Why didn't Jesus prove himself when challenged by these men? And I would say to you and to me, he absolutely did. Here's what he said to them. How foolish are you? And how slow to believe that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. When Jesus proves himself, he often doesn't do it with a miracle or sign or a wonder. He points to the prophets and the prophecies. That's what he does. Why is it? that he used that for these men on the road to Emmaus, and that's exactly what he would point us to today. Why is that? Justin Martyr said it this way. If you don't know who Justin Martyr is, he was was a great philosopher from Samaria who was converted and became an apologist in the Roman Empire. And he said this, to declare a thing shall come to pass long before it is in being, and then to bring it to pass. This or nothing is the work of God. There's not a religion. Catch this, you all. I'm going to tell you why Christianity is so good. If you're here today and you're a doubter, can I tell you why the word of God could be counted as true and trusted in your life? You hear me? There's not a religion in our world. Not any. That has prophecy. Not one. Think about that. There's not a faith in the world that has prophets in it. All of these other religions will talk about things and promise things and point to things, but they dare not prophesy. If they dared to prophesy, here's the truth. The falseness of their religion, the fakeness of their relationships would immediately be seen. The only faith and the only religion that dares to stand the test of prophecy is this faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only single one. What an amazing thought for us. In the prophets, by the way, if, you, if you're here and you say, well, what's that mean though, Justin? What are you talking about? In the prophets we have, not through a generation, catch this, not through a generation and not through a century, but we have through a millennia. We have through thousands of years, not one man, but many men. Not describing one thing, but describing hundreds and thousands of things and doing it in detail. From time to time, I think about all these prophecies. You ever do that? You ever look up a list of all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled? It's amazing. Time to time, I'll do that. And I'm amazed at the detail in which these prophecies occur. 
The men who spoke of these prophecies lived hundreds and sometimes thousands of years before Jesus, and yet they speak of Jesus as if they were at the foot of his cross. How? How could they describe him in such detail? Men like Enoch and David and Isaiah, over 300 prophecies fulfilled by the birth, life, death, resurrection, and promises of our Lord, the one man, Jesus. What are the odds of that? If that's not enough for you, what are the odds of that? I'm glad you asked what the odds are. I heard this years ago, and it's one of the things I, look, uh, I love to look up. What are the odds of one man fulfilling just eight of those prophecies? Have you guys heard that? Now, look, I'm not a mathematician. I don't, I don't do multiplication very well. I shouldn't be trusted with anything school-related, all right? So we're going to trust that people have done this, and then I'll go back there at the end and tell you why you can. But here's what the mathematicians have said. If one man just did, just fulfilled eight of these prophecies, it would be the equivalent. And here's what I've got. I didn't have like a half dollar. Um, my house, I've got two boys, one five-year-old and one one-year-old. And so we were looking around this morning at something to give you an idea. Uh, this is a Pokemon coin. And so if you're thinking to yourself, did he just mention Pokemon from the pulpit? Judge me. All right, I don't care. I love Pokemon, all right? This is what my son, this is what my son has. I thought, well, this is pretty good. It's a little bit bigger than a quarter. Okay, so we're just going to act like this was a half dollar or something like that, all right? Here's the truth about one man fulfilling, fulfilling just eight of these prophecies. It would be the equivalent of covering the whole state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep and then expecting a blindfolded man to walk across the state and on the very first try find the one coin that you marked your name on. It's pretty impressive, right? Can I be honest with you? I've heard that so many times in my life, though. I've not heard this next one. That was one man with just eight prophecies. What if you double it? What if one man fulfilled 16 prophecies, spoken hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before? And what if he fulfilled 16 of those? Using the same illustration, not exactly, with a silver dollar, if we were to press that many silver dollars into a ball, now catch this, you all, I'm not talking flat here, this thing's three-dimensional, a ball, a sphere. You get that in your mind, right? If you could picture a globe looking like a globe. If we were to press this many silver dollars into a ball and place that ball where the center of our sun is, that silver ball's outer edge would be in approximately the same area of orbit as Neptune. Maybe you don't know where Neptune is. You know where Pluto is? It's not quite as far as Pluto, but it's close. That ball placed at the center of our sun, its outer edge would reach orbit close to Neptune. That's one man fulfilling 16. And maybe you're here and you're skeptical of that and you're like, Justin, I grew up in this town. I heard about your GPA. I ain't trusting that stuff, you know? You don't have to. I gave you 16. He fulfilled over 300 So I've got a little bit of margin for error. Over 300. What more must Jesus do 
to prove himself to us when he's done that all ready. Over 300. So what's those three things I mentioned at the beginning have to do with those who wait? God has shown up. He has shown up. I don't hold the future to your life. I don't have a crystal ball to put. I don't know. But I know he's shown up. God has shown up for us. The second thing I would tell you is this. While waiting for God to show up, show out. One of my favorite passages in all of the word of God comes in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. And listen to these incredibly powerful words. Have you never heard? Have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired, and young men will fall away in exhaustion. But those who wait in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I do not know of a more comforting passage in all of the word of God to those who are waiting on the Lord than that one. What powerful words it has for those of us who wait. This passage speaks to the sustaining power of God in the life of every believer. I mention it for one reason, though, because I couldn't help but notice the progression. Because I'll be honest with you, there's times in the Word of God you read these things, it's like, man, if you're writing that today, it doesn't exactly make sense. This is one of them. You get to the very end of this passage I just read, the final three moments, it says this. It says, they will soar, those who wait in the Lord, they will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Would it not have made more sense to say that those who wait in the Lord will first walk and not faint, will second run and not grow weary, and third soar high on wings like eagles? Would it not make more sense to walk and run and fly rather than to fly and run and walk? What's the point? Is there a point? I can't help but wonder why it would be written such a way. I deal with teenagers and have dealt with teenagers my whole life. In fact, all of our staff has been in youth ministry. Pastor Anthony was a youth pastor. I was, am a youth pastor. Pastor David was a youth pastor. Pastor Zach led worship for all of our youth ministries, still does for a lot of youth ministries around the Southeast. I deal with teenagers a lot, and so I can't help but make the note when reading this structure that it might be dealing with the progression in our life just like it's dealing with the progression in this passage. Think about it. When you're young, what do you have? You know what you have when you're young? Dreams. You're positive if you play football that you're going to make it to the NFL. Somebody walks across the school hallway, hallway or some teacher tells you the statistics about how, how unlikely it is that you're going to be the one to make it to the league, and it doesn't matter. You're as sure in your mind as you've ever been that you're going to be the one. Whatever sport you play, whatever instrument you pursue and master, whatever it is you're passionate about, you are positive when you are young that your dreams will be realized. You fly high on wings like eagles. You have major dreams. Young people, teenagers, young people grow in wisdom 
in leadership. If you don't believe that, the book of Proverbs in our own Bible, that whole book was written to young people. It was written first to a son and so effective in training him for leadership that it was then used to train up young leaders during that time. That's the whole purpose of the book of Proverbs is to help young men and women grow in wisdom and understanding. We use it today to help all of us. It's what young people do. It's what teenagers do. Young, when you're young, you have big dreams. You fly on the wings like eagles. When you're in your youth, you grow in wisdom in leadership. And then when you get older, you find yourself faithful, but things begin to break down, don't they? Listen, I'm 31 years old. I ain't got it anymore. I'm supposed to be in the prime of my life. You know what I mean? Like, it's a dangerous thing. I went to the doctor when I was living in Nashville, and I was having some back problems, and he, uh, he, he ran some x-rays on my back and came in. He said, Justin, you've got old man's back. I'm like, what are you talking about, doc? I'm 28 years old, you know? What's old man's back? He said, the lowest vertebrae in your back are degenerating. You ever been in a car accident? I was like, yep. You play a sport? Yep. How long? Since I was five. What'd you play? Football. What was your position? I don't know. I just laid on people. You know what I mean? Like, that's, it was my job to collide. It's what I do for fun when I was growing up. He basically said, you're 20, you're in your upper 20s, your body's already breaking down. You know, as you get older, those things naturally happen. And we find ourselves faithful. Listen with that in mind. What you may find, that children and youth with big dreams are ready to fly, but often fall and fail. And what does God do? He sustains them. Young men and women grow in wisdom and leadership only to find resistance. And what does God do? He sustains them. Old men and women continue to walk faithfully with years of wisdom and experience only to watch as their bodies begin to break down and God still sustains them. Didn't you catch it before he went through the soaring like we, on wings like eagles and walking and running in that whole passage? Didn't you see what he said? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? Our God, our everlasting God, the creator of all the earth, never grows weak or weary. All those, whether young, middle-aged, or old, all of those who wait in the Lord will be sustained in him. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. When God sends out, he sends a message. My prayer for you is simple. May your message while waiting be that you have found the ultimate sustainer. God has shown up. God has sent out. So show off. If you're waiting on your spouse, live in the sustaining power of God as an example to them. If you're waiting on your children, live in the sustaining power of God as you're waiting on them. If you are waiting to overcome a sin, or direction in your life, wait on God living in his sustaining power. That's what it is to follow Christ. We serve the great sustainer. So what's that mean? It means I don't have all the answers. In fact, I have very few, but I have the most important answer. God has shown up. God has sent out. And you can sustain in him. He'll lift you up. He'll provide for you what you need. And that'll oftentimes be the greatest message 
that your life can ever proclaim in your moments of waiting. God has showed up. God has sent out. And the third thing I would tell you guys is this. Just because we are waiting does not mean that God is not working. It said it in Isaiah 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Catch this, you all. God gives to those who wait upon him inevitable victory. God gives all those who wait on him inevitable victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says it this way. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Isaiah 64 says it like this, the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard what wonderful things God has prepared for those that wait upon him. That's the word of God to those who wait on him. Here's the greatest truth that I know for those that are waiting today. Those that wait on God can not fail. Not will not fail, not hope not to fail. Listen to me, church. Those that wait on God can not fail. If you don't believe me, I want you to think about your favorite biblical story. Noah's Ark, Daniel in the lion's den, the raising of Lazarus, the waiting of Abraham and Sarah. You name the story. And in almost every single biblical story, it involved some type of waiting. You say, what do you mean Noah's Ark? When they were on the ark for how long? He sent out a dove and had to wait three days. Name a biblical story. I can't do it in my mind that didn't involve waiting. But here's the truth of the word of God for every believer. Those who wait today and even those of us who feel like our life is on this incredible momentum path. Here's the truth for us that all of us who wait on God share in an inevitable victory. Those who wait on God can not fail. Cannot fail. We're waiting on God, aren't we? For thousands of years, people looked to a Messiah who would come. For 33 years, people got to live with Messiah here on this earth. And for thousands of years after that, we look back to a Messiah who came. Knowing that the promise from him is that every nation, every tribe, every tongue will hear and profess. And he's going to return. We wait today. And we wait on a God that fulfilled over 300 prophecies to fulfill just a couple more. And then we get to be with him. What an awesome truth for the believer. You can not fail in your relationship with God. And it begs the question as we close today. What do you need? What do you need in your life, church? What do you need? In this moment, going into this new year, what do you need? Can I ask you a question? Do you need Jesus? Have you been coming to church or maybe here for the first time or being drugged here by a spouse or a friend or someone who cares about you? And honestly, if I could see inside your heart right now, you have been just constantly filled with doubt. But for whatever reason, when you heard the word of God today, you heard enough. And now you're ready to believe.
Do you need Jesus today? What do you need? Do you need to turn it all over to him? Your past, church, your future, do you need to turn it over to him? Listen in Psalm chapter 40. Come to me, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. People all the time pray for a burden. Can I ask you not to do that today? Could I ask you just to give it to him? Could you do that instead? Could you come to the Father in a new year understanding that anything we place on our shoulders is something that he meant to take for us, something that he died on our behalf for, something he's conquered and overcame so that we can wait on the Lord and live in his sustaining power? Can you bring your burdens to the altar today and say to God, I'm going to turn it all over to you, and this year, this is the year that I live fully, expectingly, waiting, loving you. Have it all. How much better, how much easier, how much more joy-filled might your life be if you just turned all over your burdens, all your burdens over to Jesus? How incredible that might be for you. Let's pray real quick as we close out today. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.